Hello and welcome everybody to Tech Square ATL Social Club where this live podcast recording is taking place. My name is Jared Cerfozo and I will be the moderator for this discussion focused on data fueling your business. You know, data is constantly flowing throughout our lives and can seem like a valuable resource while at the same time it could turn into a huge problem to manage. So today I'm joined by an amazing panel of three entrepreneurs with unique knowledge and experience collecting and using data to drive their business decisions. I'll start off briefly introducing each of them so you'll know where their opinions are coming from. Andrew Bate is the CEO of Safely.com, where they are redefining how vacation rental properties are getting insured. So Andrew, you have a lot of experience guiding business strategy based on good research and data throughout your, your career. Could you tell us a little bit of uh, your history leading up to Safely? And then if you can remember, what was the first piece of data you uploaded to the internet like ever uploaded to the internet yeah it's, it's gonna be a tough one i'm sure it's probably icq or something like that Ooh, that's a good one. something yeah. a long time ago um i know i used aol instant messenger but that was that was after icq um i mean true, yeah yeah and i was on the part of the bbs scene in in milwaukee where i grew up so dialed into the bbs's and uploaded ANSI code so we could make these beautiful, beautiful sites. That's probably yeah. as early as the uploads went. That's probably, uh, you know, got me thinking, I forgot about ICQ actually. Um, so, so what, so tell us a little bit of, of your, your journey to safely and yeah. becoming CEO. Yeah. My, my background was in travel and in consulting. And so I was at McKinsey, the consulting firm working in the travel practice. So really specialized in revenue management and pricing and yield management, and then loyalty programs and distribution. So very data heavy. And then being at a consulting firm, also very data heavy. And, and so I just looked at the world a little bit differently, the travel world. And you, when you're working with travel companies, the number one thing is you have to use your assets. You have to use that airplane. You have to use that hotel, keep it occupied. And then I saw people really smart people who would buy a second home and leave it empty for 48 weeks of the year. And that to me was the worst thing that could possibly happen. So what does it take to help a homeowner, a second homeowner monetize this asset for you 60% of the year instead of just 6% of the year? Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think about, especially with anything travel, it's it's mind-boggling to me how Delta even operates. I I don't I don't even understand it because I really started thinking into it, and getting super nerdy. But anyway, we'll continue on, uh, and we'll get into some of that nerdy stuff. Lawson Sumner is the chief engineer at Ampere EV, which is aiming to bring innovation to the electric vehicle industry by providing conversions of existing gas-powered cars as well as better safety and accessibility to charging technology. So Lawson, could you tell us a little bit about rec racing? I want to know about that and how it led to you joining Ampere EV. And also let us know the first piece of data you can remember uploading to the internet. Sure. Uh, so Rec Racing is a Georgia Tech organization. It's uh, one of seven automotive competition teams uh, that they have. So uh, Georgia Tech has a Formula SAE team and Baja team like a lot of colleges do um, for engineering students. Uh, but Rec Racing is a bit of a, a unique organization in that um, we compete in a challenge where you build a vehicle for $2,000. Hmm. Um, so the, the whole vehicle has a, a budget cap of $2,000. There's a few safety items that are exempt, but you know, more or less you build a, a race car 
uh, within that budget, and um, it's a competition that I competed in all through high school, not the high school, but uh, college, and um, it, it's really amazing what you can make for uh, two thousand uh, dollars. It requires some ingenuity, but you know you can get scrap metal and then put it on a Haas CNC machine, and uh, machine scrap metal, and now it's really nice, but uh, it might cost you pennies. Um, nice. rather than, you know, thousands of dollars like you would be used to. Uh, but actually, like, that passion for cars was what uh, led me and my co-founders to Ampere EV because uh, we are very much the, uh, you know, DIY side of cars, right? We have project cars in our garages and uh, enjoy tinkering, uh, you know, on our weekends and time off. Um, but we saw in the electric space that um, it's a really big hurdle uh, to do that and we saw a, a business opportunity where that that hurdle exists not just for individuals um, but also small companies um, that would like to have electric uh, vehicles or electrified versions of uh, whatever they make whatever specialized vehicle but uh, they don't have the know-how to do it all from the ground up uh, we really wanted to give them a leg up a, you know a drop-in way to have an electric vehicle and so that's what we're working on now Cool. So, do you remember the first piece of data you've you've uploaded? Uh, I think it was uh, on AOL Instant Messenger. We I lived way out in the boonies in Georgia, um, so we had dial-up internet uh, when I was young, and we, we had is an application for AOL that was like a an internet browser email thing all in mm -hmm. one. Uh, you remember what? I, maybe I shouldn't ask what it was, but is it picture? Or uh, like, it was honestly. Doc? It, it's probably something for one of those like little crappy online games or something you know you upload your profile picture gotcha and, yeah uh but that was probably the earliest earliest thing i ever uploaded nice perfect all right well we'll continue on uh michael Nguyen is ceo at datatorch io which is providing the best tools to simplify every step of the machine learning lifecycle while streamlining data collection and organization so, Michael, you've had experience in the psychology and medical fields before founding your new company. How did those experiences uh, prepare you to get into machine learning? And also, what was the first piece of uh, data you remember uploading to the Internet? I was a neuroscience undergrad because at Emory, that's like one of their premier specializations because um, I wanted to go to medical school. So actually, that kind of formed the foundation for uh, my understanding of neural networks because they're actually modeled after a certain layer of the brain like neocortex or whatever. So that kind of like primed me to like have an intuitive understanding at least of convolutional neural networks. But then there's like other kinds that get more complicated and it's like, I don't really get what's going on anymore. But I, I got into uh, neuro and CS because I was interested in artificial intelligence. So like the other stuff, the medical stuff, well, I'm not sure how much it really prepared me. I guess when I was first starting Data Torch, it was something else. I was trying to do um, data labeling for medical research. And in that case, um, seeing a lot of the regulations and stuff over the medical data, there's some overlap there because obviously dealing with data and its permissions is part of um, being able to train uh, algorithms on it. So that's sort of how like my whole background or my education has contributed to that. As far as the first data, I remember uploading. Well, what do you mean by data? Like is it birth date and the name data? Anything that came off of your computer or device and went into, I guess, what they call the cloud now. Yeah. But, um, well, I remember probably, uh, I was on like Nick Jr. Like, you know, this little disc, they give you the AOL discs. Yeah. Uh, I had that and then you could click on like the websites and one of them was Nick Jr. And I'm pretty sure that was like the first time I put my name and 
hmm. birthday and stuff in, and they had that saved somewhere. All right. Perfect. All right. Well, we'll, we'll keep the conversation going, um, and I'll just pick randomly, or you can jump in. And I just have some random discussion topics and, and some opinions for, uh, from you about data. Understanding that every business is going to have different needs, do you think a majority of the businesses here in America should be collecting and storing more data? It's kind of open-ended. And I'll go ahead and start my, my opinions How about that. Um, I think there's a lot of data that's left on the table that's taken for granted for most of the companies and, and something that maybe they're not realizing right away. So, you know, retail, obviously there's com com uh, complete businesses looking at traffic flow and stuff like that. But especially with the individual consumer, I mean, I think there's just a bunch of data being left on the table. I mean, I think there's a lot of data that companies are already collecting out of necessity, you know, who their customers are, you know, they collect shipping addresses, all that kind of stuff. But the, the question is, you know, are they using that data effectively? Like, if you just have it somewhere and it's sitting there, it's, uh, you know, more or less meaningless. Really, if someone has to go and manually look it up. Um, but I think in a lot of cases, there's some low-hanging fruit for companies where they could just utilize the data they already have. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it's one of those things where maybe they could collect more data, but they also are probably already sitting on a lot of it. Um, right. And if they can just, you know, utilize... Uh, what they have and you know some, with some way to have analytics on it and maybe you know targeted to see goals and you know conversion rates and things like that um, i think that's a big opportunity for a lot of companies well it depends on what you mean by like whether they should so right. if you mean like is it the right business decision to make not every company if you're talking about like to progress you know the field of research then yeah they should be but that's not necessarily in every company's interest well, then let me, let me jump forward to, do you think there are businesses out there that probably don't need to spend the time or waste time taking a deeper dive into that data? I mean, it's hard to say no, but I, I, mean, I can't think of any, I guess it depends on divisions, right? But you're going to go into like, well, pizza, and you're like, well, you can always collect more data than pizza delivery. Yeah. But is there, is there a point to where like, hey, it's probably not the, the, in their best interest to waste their time? doing it well i think with any business you, you have infinite opportunity and oftentimes data isn't going to be your biggest opportunity yeah. i mean i agree with lawson i think um first you have to have this mentality of being a data-driven decision maker and making data-driven decisions within your company if that's not there it doesn't matter how much more data you get in fact you can get confused by the data or you spend too much time working on it when really maybe you should be spending time on operations or on marketing or on something else so number one is just that mentality. How do you think of data? But then also you're not getting too bogged into it because you know the 80-20 rule, there are a few pieces of data that are going to be hugely predictive and help you segment your customers, help you build better products. But the rest of it might just, just be too much. And, and of course, you're building tools where, where you can better analyze data and, and you make decisions through machine learning and artificial intelligence. But, but until that's there, if you're not thinking like a data person too much data is probably harmful yeah yeah i i'd second that so i i think that you know especially what we all know as having like startup companies like our resources as a company are very limited right you know we only have so many people to do so much work and so for every business there's going to be a trade-off as far as you know the time you dedicate to reviewing your data and the benefit you get from reviewing your data um and i i think that's why there's so many you know, data companies out there that are trying to 
make it more efficient to review your data because if it's easy then yeah you know it, it's probably not going to hurt you um to to use what you have but um you know in, in engineering there there's a big thing where that the last couple percent you could spend three times as much time reviewing you know simulation results and things like that but you won't get much improvement out of it right. so there's there's a point where it's good enough um, mm. and you have to accept that you've you know you, you did collect the data you reviewed it to a, a decent extent but maybe uh, spending three times more time isn't gonna give you three times more benefit nice. um, so you, well, you can get lost in it. Yeah, so speaking of getting lost, I want to know if you all have any stories, personal experience. Um, what are some of the some of, some of the headaches you've experienced with collecting and storing data? I mean, I'll just say, you know, with within my own companies, you know, you, you start with some folders and some folder hierarchy for the company to store things in, and then hopefully you have the right naming convention. You know, everybody's naming it the correct way, and then oh well, where's that? And it can get messy real quick. It's quite an effort to say. Oh, we're gonna take a day to clean up our data. It's just like, oh, I don't want to do it, right? So it's kind of like cleaning your room. So, do you have any um, headaches or experiences that you shared? I, I know your company is is working, you know, trying to keep, help people keep that stuff clean. Uh, how I even got started in doing all of this was because, like, I was trying to go to medical school, so I was doing research at Johns Hopkins, um, doing deep learning in medicine. So basically, I was scribing at a hospital. And um, the, the doctor saw me, like, reading research papers, and he's like, oh, you do research? I'm like, yeah, I'm looking for a research position, and I'm interested in machine learning. He's like, I know a guy. Um, let me hook you up. So basically, he was in the Department of Pulmonology, which is, like, lungs, but it's also sleep. So they study sleep a lot. And I told the guy, um, you know, I'm interested in machine learning, so I want to implement that however I can with um, sleep or, you know, the research you're doing. So he's saying, hey, we're actually gathering data on mice and we're doing a research project on um basically that like inject them with stuff and see how it affects their sleep stage so we have like mountains of data that um needs to be labeled and since you're like a computer guy um can you like basically write an algorithm that will do it automatically and so i said hmm. yeah sure so i was like imp trying to implement deep learning to do it um so from his perspective this dude was like my pi uh, my boss he's like a smart guy he's like uh, md phd in like signal processing or whatever but he's like uh didn't know anything about computers right so he just sort of assumed like let me just bring this like ai guy on and uh he'll computer or like it'll solve all the problems but actually none of that data was labeled so uh we actually had to do it manually anyways mm. which is like what was the original solution and they were trying to do that for like years yeah um so i think the expectations and not fully understanding um you know when even though even if you do have all this data like the lab i was working in what they did um not realizing that like the development process of um artificial intelligence and exactly how you can use it was a major is a major issue because like even this like doctor researcher guy i mean that project didn't go anywhere right and then that's sort of how i got started um mm. doing all this data labeling stuff was because it was basically a solution for him yeah um, do, you, do, do you think if they had somebody from the start or to get ahead of it mm -hmm. that kind of could see that problem, you know, see that future problem that they would have been way better off? Do you think, and also, do you think that that should be maybe be thought of like a, a position within a company to like kind of safeguard any sort of uh, potential uh, data problems in the future? 
It's like to build an algorithm for something, you have to have the data for it already. But a lot of times people want to classify stuff using algorithms and they think you can just plug it into whatever. But mm -hmm. um, I mean, unless everyone was like super educated, or like if the guys who were in charge of everything like knew everything about AI already, but then they probably wouldn't be. I don't know. Could you avoid it? Maybe if you knew you were starting a company and you wanted to involve AI from the beginning and you brought an expert on. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not even like, I'm not an expert or anything. I just like do business stuff, you know? I'm not like an <laughs> AI dude either. Yeah. Well, I think a big one uh, for a lot of things is like, you know, naming schemes. So you mentioned earlier. Um, if you don't stay consistent and do it early with naming schemes, uh, you can have a, a mess. Uh, yeah. If you have two people using different naming schemes or you have, you change your, you know, if someone like can't make up their mind and they, they have one naming scheme they use for one project and then another for a different one, then all of a sudden they go to, you know, two years later, right. do something with this data that they might have spent months or something collecting, and all of a sudden they're like, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter, because, right. you know, a lot of things now are very program-oriented, so, you know, you can write a script to, to read anything, but your script has to know how to read in whatever you collected. Yep. Um, and so, you know, that's where a naming scheme comes in handy. If you don't have a scheme mm -hmm. at all, or you have different schemes, then... Uh, you can quickly run into issues making your data useful at all. It, it becomes wasted. Yeah. Wasted stuff. We, we organize files by, by date. And then I always get in a, not an argument, I guess a discussion of like, I like year first, year, month, day. Most culture here in America go, usually goes month, day, year. And then also just from programming experience, I don't like dashes, only underscores, but... That's just a pity. As long as you stuff. stick with it, though. Yes. Probably okay. That yes. was actually a huge issue at the lab I was working in, too. Like, all, all of those, like, files, the mouse files or whatever, they're all named differently because they'd yep. just, like, hire someone to do it. They'd do their own way, and then the guy would leave, and then they hire someone else. They'd do it their own way, and it's like, oh, we got all these files named differently. It's, like, just a hassle to even, like, go through all of them. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree 100%. Well, so we, we kind of, my next topic was talking about business owners concentrating on the data that they do have available, which you already mentioned, Lawson, but. I guess, you know, this was kind of asked to the audience here too, but um, what are some of your favorite tools to store and organize your data? So, you know, obviously there's Dropbox, Google Drive, OneDrive. And I thought about this too. I guess iCloud is a file storage. It, it goes beyond just your, your Apple devices, but do you have a favorite one? I mean, are you going to say Data Torch? But <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I don't, we don't use Data Torch within Data Torch. Mine's Notion probably. Notion, nice. I found that uh, the the two considerations I generally had to focus on is whether it was uh, like internal data sharing or external data sharing. Interesting. So for internal stuff, uh, both uh, three years at school and GM and now is you know like Microsoft Teams is actually it uses you know SharePoint or OneDrive as the back end, but you can you know separate it into channels and it so it works great for internal use because you can right. you can easily categorize your you know, your chats and your files and your notes all between different people, but it's horrible for external sharing. So when, you know, when we work with someone that's outside of our company, uh, either in a contract form or customer or, you know, any, anything, um, it doesn't work very well for that. So I found that, you know, there's other platforms um, for file sharing. Like, you know, Dropbox is really common, but almost anything except the Microsoft products work well for sharing externally. Um, and, and those are just really basic file sharing. Uh, you know, the, there's 
data is a really broad category. You could have uh, all kinds of applications that focus on you know sharing and organizing a certain set of data. Yeah. Um, but I, I certainly found that there are different considerations on whether you're sharing that with people you trust internally and then you know external agents that you may or may not trust for certain. What is safely? Yeah, yeah we're, we're really careful NDA. about sharing data. All of our data has personally identifiable information. You know, we've run background checks on guests. We have their history in where they're staying for a vacation rental. Mm-hmm. We we predict whether they're going to be a good guest or a bad guest in the future. So um, really, we we keep that all. It's all on AWS. We have right. offsite storage, but it's very secure. And if we do have service providers who help us, you know improve our risk score, you know, that's a very secure IP address, secure transfer. Um, one time it was so hard getting it to a person. I was like, I'll just get on a plane and I'll bring you a, a flash drive. Because <laughs> yeah. It was just, oh, sometimes my, that's what's required. This building here, sometimes your IP address is this, and that's yeah. another one, that's another one. And, and so it's hard, but we, you, our data, we, we, we've got to keep it really, really um, Tight, secure. Yeah. Before moving to Atlanta, I worked for a web development company, and then you know, it was always a discussion on the server side, like, oh, well, you know, we have a data center in Florida, like, should we back it up somewhere far away, just in case there's a hurricane or something like that, you know? I, I was trying to explain, you know, a, lot, a lot of people don't understand, like, that data has to physically live somewhere eventually, um, until we get into the future and we're talking about, like, kind of blockchain type of, like, data uh, dispersion, but... Oh, I guess I guess what what are your you know your favorite hosting um, services? I mean, so you you think of like AWS separate from your file sharing, um, and you you did a good job, Lawson, of talking about like internal versus external with public uh, files. You know, what effects do you think that that has on an individual business? Well, I think um, it matters. Kind of like uh, what we were talking about with the naming convention. Once you go down one path, you're just there, and yeah. it never becomes the biggest. Uh, priority to switch from AWS to Azure or Google's right. service. I mean, once once you go down a path, you're yeah. there unless there's a really big reason to change. So so naming convention matters. What data are you storing from the very beginning really matters. And how are you storing it? What's your what's your what's your whole DevOps structure? Right. It's so hard to change it. Yeah, even we, if it would make so much sense to change it. We have a, a pretty big internal tug of war between Google Drive and Office 365 right now. And it's like, well, which data goes where and, and what is this? And like, oh, it should be over there. Um, it's just, and, and again, we go back to like, oh, how much time do I want to spend on this thing? Um, so priority-wise. Um, yeah. I think it's super important uh more so recently with all the remote work and stuff people have to access things through shared locations you know uh you can't um you can't always be physically present so you got to share things somehow through some sort of you know remote location um and that that's brought a lot of companies to reconsider some of their data management practices um there's you know the, the whole deal with how you manage people in different areas. There's a lot of data getting transferred between people now that maybe was a physical, you know, presentation or someone handing someone a flash drive before, but now you, you've got to, you've got to do it extra. I thought it was like funny that you know you, you mentioned uh, getting on a plane and giving someone a flash drive. What I, I actually had to like mail someone this week, uh, like an SSD with data on it because that was the easiest way to get them, you know, 500 gigabytes of yeah. data that was in a lot of different files. Uh, so sometimes the simple solutions are still what we have. You know, like 
right. mailing a flash drive might be the easiest thing in some cases, but in other cases, you have to put some thought into what's the most efficient practice for yeah. your business. Yeah, efficient. You were talking about AOL disks back in the day. I remember yeah. burning disks with the, had like a two-part file and telling people like, you had to take both of those files and bring like shipping them two CDs. Yeah, CDRs. Well, um, uh, yeah. I, it's interesting you talk about like uh, remote work and it increasing the amount of data because uh, our company is completely remote and. Some an idea that I've had for a while. This is just like a crazy idea, basically. But it's called Corgi Coded Organization, and Git is what it would stand for. But it'd be a command line tool. But essentially, like our entire company is remote, and it was founded remote. So I've never f- interacted with any of my co-founders or any of the customers in person. So all of our communications are through Discord. Ooh. So we use chat, audio, video, data, and also everything is asynchronous. So like we much prefer instead of having meetings to like kind of do it all in text. And so you could actually take the entire history of the company and every interaction between every single person and put it and save it, right? So essentially like as far as like using decision making or using computers to drive decision making or data, I'm not sure if it's like there yet, if artificial intelligence is there yet, but like conceivably if it ever got to a point where it was good enough to do things like that, you could take all of that data feed it in and say this is like basically how a company operates because we've never met in person um hmm. or like at this point i don't even know if i want to like it'd be kind of weird yeah why why discord over slack uh because it's free huh? mainly unpopular opinion i do not like slack at all <laughs> I don't, I don't no, know. i'm I, with I, you i've uh i've tried it several times different Different organizations and stuff used it, but interesting. Uh, I, I really struggle when you're in different, completely different organizations. Is where I really struggle with right. Slack. The bouncing between like workspaces was, yeah. uh, but so, some of my friends and colleagues and stuff love it. That's, that's an interesting platform. But it is interesting that you say that if you're fully remote, you can, I guess, you could use that data to analyze the efficiency and productivity of your of yeah. your entire company. I mean, you could literally conceivably just have a company can be controlled by an artificial intelligence because mm. if you have every video chat saved every call saved every email and text saved that's all data and so you can say okay well like here's the progression of like the interactions between all the people um from basically the foundation to the end of the you know if the company grows to a certain amount and if you would had that for like multiple companies then you could conceivably train an algorithm to uh essentially you know build a company yeah, artificial intelligence operation manager. Interesting. <laughs> Does it cross a line if your yearly bonus is based on what the AI decides your productivity was? <laughs> it's like Skynet level. Ooh. Now there's a reason for hacking. I want to ask each of you, uh, what's going on with your companies right now? And are you looking for any connections like hiring? Are you looking to hire talent? Are you looking for some funding? Or do you just need more clients? Um, so what's, what's going on with Ampere? Uh, so right now we are building the first functional versions of all of our products. So uh, there's a lot that goes into an electric vehicle drivetrain. You got motors, battery packs, um, yeah. controllers, uh, which in a lot of cases for us is both hardware and software products. You know, we do our own control software, but there's a lot of physical components that we're having to make right now. Um, and you know, it's uh, it really is just a, a mad rush right now to get physical parts made. That's our, our current struggle. Um, so we're still looking for you know manufacturing connections and things like that just to help us get 
parts made. We have, you know, machine parts, composites parts, um, all sorts of things that uh, we're trying to get sort of the first versions made. Um, the first ones are always the hardest. Um, right. So yeah. uh, we're building that right now and uh, hoping that we can get, you know, sort of our our prototype demo system up and running by uh, a couple months from now. Nice. Nice. I want to see it. Um, so, yeah, what's going on with Safely? Yeah, I, in the next year, uh, we have three big goals. Number one is this risk score that we have predicting the outcome of a reservation. We want to use that to be more proactive and preventive because insurance companies, you think of them, they just pay out. Something breaks, they pay out. And it's a lot cheaper to pay out if it never happened in the first place. And so that's our big goal. How do we use this data to be preventive and steer high-risk people to make really good decisions when they stay in an Airbnb or a VRBO short-term rental. So that's, that's goal number one. Number two is, um, is really figuring out how to get inbound leads. So is the sales and marketing. We've been growing 160% year over year consistently. I mean, it's going well, but we got to keep that going. And, and that means investing in a repeatable sales process, getting the right developers the, or the right sales team members, but also the right inbound uh, marketers and, yeah. and getting that going you know, in a scalable way. Nice. So Safely's clients is directly the, the, the owners of the vacation rentals, right? Yeah, we, yeah. we have two, two customers. Right now, most of them are professional property managers, kind of like where, gotcha. where you work. Yeah. But they're managing rentals that are five nights on average. So just short stays, not the long annual rentals, but yeah. short, short rentals. And we're starting to work with about 100 individual homeowners, and we're scaling that so that if an individual person is listing their home on Airbnb, they're managing it themselves, then they get a second home and a third home, we're helping ensure and protect those experiences too. Perfect. All right. And then what is going on with uh, DataTorch? Are you looking for, for talent or connections or funding? Yeah, basically like everything you said. Nice. Um, well, we are starting our initial fundraise um, with the CreateX demo day that's tomorrow. Um, so we already have a little bit of verbal agreement funding. So we're trying to essentially close that out um, within the next month or two. And we'll yeah. see how the demo day goes and everything else. As far as talent goes, yeah, we definitely need talent. I mean, it's a small team of just me, my co-founder, Justin, um, and we have an engineer, Kevin. But definitely uh, we need help on everything, engineering, sales, business development. And then connections, of course, you know, what business couldn't sure. use connections? Um, yeah, that reminds me. Yeah, go check out CrateX tomorrow. Uh, you'll see Data Torch in there, or if you're listening this to this in the future, um, go to the CrateX uh, website, which is at Georgia Tech. Is it, they classify as an accelerator, right? For, yeah. Kind yeah. Of. So they do that for non-student programs? I, always, I mean, you hear about CrateX a lot when you become like a senior. Uh, yeah. But they're open to sort of anyone to participate in um, the... I think they've recently started to like allow more people in because uh, I was like, I basically just like emailed them and said, hey, you know, I, everything I told you before is like I took summer classes and stuff and right. I really liked the school. But there was actually a couple founders that I knew in this cohort that didn't go to tech or maybe someone in their team did, but... Um, I yeah. think they're trying to grow it. Also, the fact that it's all remote now right. um, has enabled like them to um, take in a higher bandwidth. So I think that's contributing yeah. to it. Yeah, so check out CrateX at Georgia Tech because it's a really good program for um, 
again, the majority of student startups, um, but now kind of branching out a little bit. Um, and DataTorch is part of this recent cohort. I want to go ahead and thank our panel again and everyone here for the live audience in the live audience for coming again. Again, my name is Jared Zerfoso from TechSquare ATL Social Club, which is a private membership for entrepreneurs, startups, and researchers looking to connect and collaborate within TechSquare. Go to TechSquareATL.com to get connected to what's happening in the heart of Atlanta's tech scene.